went off to a university, a Bible college that um, was all about missionaries. They were very missions-minded. It's an expression, you know, within the general evangelical community. It's a very missions-minded organization and uh, at school, I say. And uh, everything was about the Great Commission, the Great Commission. At least during my four years that were there, everything was aimed at the Great Commission. Till one day I realized it wasn't the Great Commission, it was my commission. It's our commission. God, Christ, has commissioned us. And that's what uh, was read to us this morning. Now, where are we? We are, we're in our last installment of uh, this series that we've entitled The Spheres of Ministry. And it's been about philosophy. We've tried to set forth our philosophy as a church. What are we aiming at? We said we, we, we want to aim, number one, to minister to the Lord. Our heart's desire is first to please God, to minister to God, to fill ourselves with God. And then we said, the scripture says that we are to minister to each other. We are to serve the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And so we've spoken numerous messages on ministering to the body. And uh, the last uh, uh, installment, uh, the last uh, uh, segment of that, of that sphere of ministry was ministry to the world. Once we fill ourselves with God, then we can fill ourselves uh, by, by ministering to the body of Christ. And when we've done that, and only after we've done that, after we've served each other, can we then go out and, and have something meaningful to share with the world. So, we, uh, we identified what the world was. We said it's the family of Adam. That's why we are to love them. We don't love the system. We don't love what the world stands for. But we love the people that are in the world. The, the, the family of Adam. That uh, 1 Corinthians tells us uh, that that family in Adam are all dead. But our message is a message of, of life. We said we are to take them the gospel. And the gospel is one simple bit of news. Christ died for our sins. And we said that uh, as we bring them the gospel, we bring them the message of the Apostle Paul, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We, we spoke last week on what that message should be. What, what do we share with people? What, what are some of the most essential things that we should be sharing with other people? We said, well, we, we, we need to include in our message the reality that all people will see God. Um, we have to give a warning of the impending judgment. The Bible says we will all stand before God, some in one means, others in another, but we all will see the Lord, and we will all bow our knees before Him. We said that Jesus is the only door to God, and that is our message, and we are to take that message, and that is a message of exclusivity, yet at the same time, it is Jesus who reminds us that God, for God so loved the world. So in that exclusivity, God has not closed the door to people. He just simply has said that only Christ 
is the means by which we will know who God is. We said that we are to identify God. In today's postmodern culture, we've got to tell them who God is. We've got to identify God. We can't just say God. You need to identify God to be the Creator God. You know, God, the lover of man, the one who has uh, sought to, to bring redemption to mankind. We need to, don't just say, you know, the man upstairs, you know. The man upstairs, uh, he, can, he can bring all kinds of thoughts into people's minds. Hey, say who God is. Identify yourself with God, with Jehovah. Um, we were to uh, uh, not shy away from the law of God. You know, uh, it's all about uh, relativism today. There's no, nothing is sure, nothing is, nothing is uh, constant. And so, you know, when you th- talk about laws, people get all, all fidgety and worried. But you know what? Those, those commandments are there. If you just even stay to the basic Ten Commandments, they're great. Because the Bible tells us that those commandments, those laws of God, are what bring us to the knowledge of sin. And so let's not shy away from what God gave us to better understand not only who He is, but who we are in need of a Savior. And of course, our message is to include... Definitely hope. The hope of the gospel. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message that brings us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And uh, we are to share the full gospel of God. Now, As we bring it to an end, I thought, well, we need to kind of bring it to an end. We need to close it with the idea of speaking about the commission, our commission. And our commission um, sometimes receives some uh, objections. So we're going to start with the objections and just deal with them very, very briefly. So we don't want to stick our head in the sand and say, well, you know, we're not going to... Well, we'll do that. Very brief, but we will. And then we'll see where we'll go. So let's pray and ask God to direct us this morning. Father, as we look into your word, we ask that your spirit will guide us, will teach us, and Father, that you will move our will to obey and to do what is pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. What is... The Great Commission. You, 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 most of you perhaps would say, well, I know what that is. And, and, and you probably hit it on the nose. Uh, but let's just review. What is the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission, our commission, uh, is the words of Jesus to His disciples, to His followers, after the resurrection, before He ascends to heaven, He commissions them to the task of preaching the gospel. That was his last desire, his last command, his last commission. Go, preach the gospel. But there are some objections to that great commission. First, remember this. A message must have an absolute. 
The message of law has an absolute. In our society, the message of law has the absolutes of the laws that are given by the land, whether it's a constitution or whatever establishes the laws of the land. That's an absolute. As believers, our message also has an absolute. It's the Bible. And we absolutely believe that it is the Word of God. From Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way to the end of Revelation 21. And in between, uh, a mother uh, yesterday in the Murcia church came up to me. I know, I mean, of course, I, I know her son. Actually, Eddie, because I've known Eddie since he was a little boy. But he's now in um, secondary school, and he's a bright kid. And Anyway, he's been saying to his mom, Mom, you know, in school, they're telling us that the Bible is mythology. And they're comparing it to Greek mythology and... And they're really rocking this boy's mind. I mean, they're rocking his foundation. And he says to his mom, is the Bible mythology? And, and the mom just really hadn't, didn't know how to answer him. And yesterday she sort of caught me and said, Pastor, what do I say to him? You know, I said, well, I said, no, it's not. And don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't, don't be apologetic. That is ground we cannot give. We will not give. It is not mythology. It is the word of God. It is what God has left us to understand Him and to understand ourselves, to understand the purposes and the plans of what He has in store for humanity. It is the word of God. So if we start with that, then the rest will be easy. And when I say easy is we're then able to understand some of the objections that are thrown at us. For example, one objection is in regards to not taking the gospel. When I was studying about, uh, when I was studying anthropology, one of the great evils the, the anthropologist throws on the missionaries that go to foreign lands is you go to these foreign lands, you go to the jungles, you go to, you know, to these tribes and you westernize them. You bring them your western religion, you bring them your western style of clothing, you bring them your western thinking and you ruin their culture. Um, well, there might be some argument there. I mean, after all, wherever we go, so does Coca-Cola. But, okay, there, there might be some argument there. But, the fact that we bring the message of Jesus Christ is light. So, some of their arguments are something like this. Let them be with their gods. They have their own religions. Why must we take them our religion? Let them be with their religion. Let them have their gods. Well, you see, our absolute, the Word of God says that uh, there are no other gods. There is only one God. Therefore, their gods are not going to help them. And our absolute then impels us to present to them the one God, the true God, the creator of the universe. And no, not all the ways will lead to that God. We don't believe that. We don't. We just will not assume that God works that way outside of His Word as He has revealed Himself in it. So, let them 
be to their own gods and religions, and we say no. So that objection to us is of no importance. Number two, if they don't know, then they won't be held accountable. If they don't know, they won't be held. Don't take them, you religion. They won't know that they're lost, and therefore they won't be held accountable. Now, you know what? We could say a lot about that one. Right? I mean, that's how you operate with your children. Isn't that true? You don't give them rules. You don't give them regulations. That way they don't know, and they're not held accountable. You agree with that? No, right? I mean, you can't just... That's not how it works. But outside of that, the Scripture, again, our basis... For belief says that God has made Himself known in nature and in our conscience. So in reality, they do. There is something in them that condemns them. That, they, that tells them that they have to have some sort of rules of right and wrong. Our job, of course, in the Great Commission is to take the, what, 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 the commands that God has left so that we become conscious of sin and we then can understand the reason why Christ died on the cross. So that objection is not there and will not stop us. Number three, another objection is there will be a second chance. Leave them alone. And you know what? There's going to be a second chance. When they stand before God, God will explain to them the plan of salvation and say, will you believe now? Um, I used to think that was the way it was. Of course, everybody wants there to be this second chance afterward. But again, the scripture does not teach that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that after we die, we have a second chance. Scripture says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There is no second chance. God gives us a very long chance while we're here. And He makes sure that you will get to hear it. And He will then, through the Great Commission, send people out to many places and to wherever it is He wants it to be. But there is no second chance. So that is not an objection that will shake us. So, putting the objections aside, what is our commission? Our commission. Well, our commission, number one, is His last will and command. This is the last words of the Lord Jesus to us. To carry His legacy. That's what He meant for us to do. To spread the news. Because the message had power. Because the message had within it the ability to change the life of an individual. To bring forgiveness of sin and to make right what was wrong. To bring together man and God. Matthew chapter 28, which was read to us, says, Go. Um, if you want to go there, we want to look at Matthew 28 and Mark 16, just very briefly. Uh, I don't know if you understand, but our commission, or the Great Commission, is found in all four Gospels and in the uh, book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. All five books show us very distinctly where Jesus, speaking to His disciples, tells them what they are to do. And in different formats. For example, in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19 it says, Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore 
and make disciples. A little bit of uh, grammar here. That word go is actually a participle. Now, uh, English was that one course in university that, you know, just sort of dragged my notes down. It just, you know. But I learned a few things. For example, did you know that a participle is an ing ending verb? So it's not go as a command, it's going. As you are going, do you know what that means? It's not a command in verse 28 of Matthew. It's an expectation. As you're going, make disciples. Would you know what that what what God is expecting of us? A natural lifestyle. It's a natural sort of as you are going about your life, make disciples. That is what it says in Matthew. So, it's an expectation. But in Mark, for example, Mark chapter 16, there it says, go, make this, uh, uh, go preach the gospel to every creature. That go is a command. That's an imperative. That one, he says, do it. Do it. So, we are told in those last words of Jesus, both to do it as a natural means in which he expects us to carry it out. And he tells us to do it as a command. Not something that we have the choice in the matter. And I think the balance is, though we have no choice, we should do it in a very natural way. It should be our lifestyle. It should be that, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, your encouragement is to share your life with others. The deep, burning desire within you. A person that comes to know Jesus Christ will eventually, soon, decide he has to share these news with other people. That is just part of what it is. Our experience, be it... an overnight sort of thing, or be it a long process of coming to understand the lie, whether you were converted overnight, or whether it's been a process in your life, in either case, there has to be within you the desire to follow the the, the last words of Jesus, to share the gospel with others. The New Testament shows us time and time again where converts, the first thing they did was go out and share with others their faith. Our own experience, my own experience was that. I know I was, I was very blunt and, and almost offensive when I came to know the Lord. But it was because I was so excited what God did in my life, I just want to tell everybody else. And yeah, most of them sort of, I made enemies instead of friends because I was, you know, telling everybody they were going to hell and they needed Jesus Christ to be, you know, and okay, fine. So that's not the best way to get people's attention. Okay, granted. But I tell you what, there was within me only a desire that they would know Jesus. You know, that's all I wanted. So, it isn't about performance. Okay, uh, performance is an imperative. The, the, the idea of 
finding converts. That's not the point. Do you realize that's not the point? The point isn't, you know, you have to go out there and drag them in. It's about you sharing your life. It's about you loving the world. Ministering to the world. Do you think you have something they might need? Why do you follow Christianity? Or is it that we're so selfish we only think about our soul? I mean, all those things rock us, rattle us. Because if it's about just me, well, that sounds really bad. If it's because I know nothing else to do, you know, I just, you know, go to church on Sunday because I got nothing else to do, well, you know what? You need some serious social life. I can give you a thousand things you could be doing on a Sunday morning, including sleeping. I'm here because I love God. I'm here because I love God's people. I'm here because I really believe that Jesus is the only way. And I'm here to charge up my batteries so that when I run into people in the street from time to time in a very natural as I am going kind of way, I share with them. By the way, you know God loves you. That's what it's meant to be. That's our commission as we've received it from God. There are some endowments that come with that commission. That's our second point. With that commission of go, and as you're going, a few gifts were given to us to carry it out. Well, you see, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, God knew we were going to need some serious help. God knew we're shy, uh, clumsy. At times, we just, you know, we can't get our act together. And, and, and He chose to work through human beings. And I figure, have you ever, I mean, I've asked myself a billion times, God, if you really wanted this job done right, why, why don't you just, why don't you send angels? I'm sure they do it better. I'm sure they'll do the job better. All they have to do is just sort of appear, wave a little something yellow, or a flame or something, a little miracle here or there, a couple of wings. I mean, they'll just drop right there, you know, please save me, you know. Why do you use human beings? We're shy, we, we, we come up with excuses, we, 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 you know, we're, we're embarrassed, we come up with all kinds of things. Why do you use human beings? Yet He empowered us. He gave to us the tools to get it done, and there's two of them. Authority and power. And they are in the Great Commission. Authority and power. In Matthew chapter 28... The one that was read to you uh, by James. Jesus said that he has received power. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. And then he says, as you are going, make disciples. What's implied? The authority that's been given to me, I give on to you. You have authority. That authority is shown to us very clearly in John chapter 20. Again, the message of the commission. And in that message of John chapter 20, there are some verses that are a little complicated. Want to go there? I mean, because these are those kind of verses that most people just sort of ignore. Because they rattle us. they like, well, what does it mean by that? 
Look at this. John chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. The Gospel of John. Jesus has said to his disciples... Verse 19, it ends up by saying, Peace to you. Verse 20, And we had said this, He uh, showed them both, His hands and His side and His disciples, and they rejoiced. Keep going. Verse 21, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be with you, as as the Father has sent me, so, or uh, I also send you, so send I you. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Alright? Now the commandment is to do likewise. Go out there, right? Now, look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. What does that mean? You mean I can go around saying, Your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. That's a lot of power, isn't it? And that is exactly what Protestant churches do not like. Isn't that true? I mean, we are just not going to accept somebody telling us whether our sins are forgiven or not. So what do you do with that verse? What, what does that mean? Do you know that that's authority? That's what it really boils down to? People say to me, You mean that if I pray to God and I ask Him to forgive me of my sins, I mean, this is a serious conversation. We're not talking about people who are, who are just laughing at us. I mean, seriously wanting to make peace with God. They say, You mean if I really... I, this happened to me with my father, my stepfather. Okay, my stepfather, he was not a good man. I mean, he was, to me, he was a great guy. I mean, he treated me like... But he was not... He was a lawyer, all things said. Okay? And, 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 and he's dying. He's in his dying days. I hope there's no lawyers out here. That don't take that personal. He's in his dying... Literally, is that two weeks before he dies. He's come out of a coma. He's really... You know, and I thought he wasn't even understanding me. And I said to him, I said, Dad... God will forgive you if you just ask Him to forgive you of your sins. He'll forgive you. And I thought He wasn't really understanding. He looks into my eyes and He just, all He said was, Do you really think He'll forgive me? And I knew He'd heard me. I knew He had, I had gotten through to Him. You know what I said to Him? Um, um, well, uh, I hope, uh, um, I, um, I don't know, Dad. Do you really think that's what I did? I looked into his eyes and I said, He'll forgive you. I know He'll forgive you. Why? Because I know that's what the Bible says. I have authority to say that. Just like I've looked into the eyes of many a man and woman who will not listen to the gospel. And he will say to me, I don't need Jesus. And I look at them and I say, Then your sins will separate you from God. And I have the authority to say that. Because I know what the Bible says. Unless my sins are forgiven, I will not see God. And so, that's what those verses are implying. I have authority. Because I know what the Bible says. So when you say to someone, yes, your sins will be forgiven. You're not forgiving them, obviously. But you're giving them the assurity that the one who can forgive, will forgive. 
And those who will turn their back on Christ, do you have the authority to say, your sins will condemn you? And you don't have to be shy about it. Because that's truth. That is the truth of the scripture. So we have been given authority. Someone identified authority as our badge. You know, uh, the people who are somebody carry badges. Something to identify who they are. That gives them the authority to say the things they do and, and to, and to st- get in your face, you know, go into your whatever. They have the badge. They have the authority. That's what we've been given in the Great Commission. We've been endowed with authority. But mind you, a badge alone can get you killed, right? You need a little bit of power behind the badge. So we then load them up with guns. Alright, let's not do, get there too far. But you know, the power is the gun. What's our power? What's our power? Well, Jesus gave us that. In Acts chapter 1, He tells us, You shall receive Power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, when we receive the Spirit of God, we receive power. The knowledge of the Word gives us authority. The Spirit of God gives us the power. That's why we can get the job done. Because God has given to us authority and power. Authority to proclaim His Word. Power to not be ashamed. Power to proclaim. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Power. He doesn't mean for you to do it in your strength. He means for you to do it in His Spirit. It is the power of God. Mark chapter 16, again, Very interesting what happens in the Great Commission in some of these passages. In Mark chapter 16, you again have some verses that have always been of great controversy. And I don't like controversy, so let's go to the verses. You know, I always, you know, like to meet things head on. So go to Mark chapter 16, and uh, let's let's just look at some verses here that, uh, you know, they're difficult. Let's not ignore them. Let's see what they have to say to us. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. You there with me? Mark Mark 16, 14 says this. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were uh, reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their and he reproached them for their unbelief and and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had uh, seen him after he had uh, uh, had they been risen. Verse fifteen. And he said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures." Now, up to there, we're all pretty good on what's going on. The next few verses get complicated. I mean, they've gone to task, churches, at at each other over what this means. Verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has uh, disbelieved shall be condemned. And And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongue. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will, they, will, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And a lot of times, you know what we do with those verses? We just sort of, you know, you do a roundabout. You know what a roundabout is, you know? 
Y'all go to the left, most of you up there in the UK, you know, we go to the right, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's all about avoiding it, you know. You know, avoid the verses, let's not talk about the controversy. But it's because we get locked on the words instead of on the principles. What is it that it's talking about? Well, look, I'll go real quickly with that. Mark chapter 16, he says, if you take the gospel, something's going to follow you. Now, follow, what, what, what is the first thing that has to happen for anybody to follow you? Huh? Talk back to me on that one. What do you have to do for someone to follow you? See you, okay. Don't get so complicated here, folks. What does somebody have to do to follow you? And someone says to you, you know, you're trying to get somewhere, and uh, and someone says, follow me. What do they have to do before you can follow them? They got to move. If they're not moving, you can't follow them, okay? You got, you know, somebody's got to be moving for you to follow. Now, what the verse says, these signs will follow. If you sit on your duff with your gospel, nothing's going to follow. You got to be moving. You see, we, we, we think it's all about believing and filling our minds and, and getting our right doctrine, make sure we dot the I's, cross the T's, get all the whole theology thing. And then we sit on it. You're never going to see the power of God that way. Instead, you get these people who get converted, don't go to Bible school, don't get their theology straight. You know, I mean, they are shooting bullets all over the place, but they get up and they start following God. And they're ta- they come back telling about miracles and things, and, and you go, yeah, but you don't got your theology straight. They said, yeah, but just sitting. How can you see what power is? All you're doing is sitting on what you know. They're moving out. They're doing what they can. They're the ones that get to see the miracles. You know why? Because it says in that passage, these signs will follow. The signs won't follow if you're not moving. God can't use you much if you're just sitting You can't steer a car that's still. You can't move a boat that's docked. That's common sense, folks. Doesn't take rocket science. Get off your duff. Get moving and God will show up. You can't say, well, I'm scared. You know, I don't know about preaching others, sharing my faith, you know. And until I see God do something, I'm not going to move. Guess what he says? Until you move, I'm not going to show you anything. That's just bare facts, folks. That's what it says there. So what happens if you start moving? Well, look, this is what happens. If you start moving, number one, you're going to have power over the spirit world. Guess what I was teaching last night at the semin- at seminary down in Murcia at the, at the Bible school? Angels. This was next, next class. Demons. Guess what everybody wants to hear about? Demons. Everybody wants to know, do they exist? Have you ever seen one? And so I always, you know, I always finish my classes with a little bit of something for the next one, you know. And I said, you guys ever see the movie The Exorcist? And, you know, someone will always say, yeah, yeah, I saw the movie. I said, well, I never did. Really, Pastor, you never seen the movie The Exorcist? No, I never saw the movie The Exorcist. Why should I see the movie? I've been there, done that. What do I have to go see the movie for? 
I've had demons go after me, try to hurt me physically. I've, I've dealt with them through bars and bars meaning not pubs. I mean bars and jails. I, you know, uh, I, I, I've, I've, you know, I had this one lady want to put her hands around my neck, try to choke me. You know, I've seen them on the floor rattling around. I've seen foam coming out the mouth. Really? You've done that? Yeah, I've seen that. Guess where it didn't happen? Singing at home. Watching the God channel. Didn't happen. Where did it happen? Out there. Going to where the people are. Remember one time we were we were having this gospel meeting. And the fellow that was preaching, he was doing a good job. He was doing a good job. Now I knew there was a lady there. I had kept my eyes on her. I knew her. And I knew, I just knew that to stay really close to her. Because I, I knew a little bit about it. She had epileptic seizures, you know. And I, I might be stepping on some shoes here, but anyway, you know how I am. Anyway, so, and uh, the guy was preaching. And he came to the point where he was making the invitation, okay? And he was inviting the people to receive Christ as the Savior. And as soon as he got there, guess what happened to the lady? Boom! She's on the floor. She's got the epileptic thing going on. And uh, I mean, and the people around her, they're all panicked. You know, they're ready to dial, uh, what is it, uh, nine, no, here it's 112. Yeah, they're ready to dial 112, you know. They're, you know, is there a doctor in the house, you know. And I said, shh, just everybody stop. You're going to disturb the whole meeting. Just, and she's, she's going to, and I just, all I did is went right up to, to her ear. And in her ear, I said, with all the authority that's in me, I said, I want you to be quiet, still, and, and don't disturb the meeting. I command you in Jesus' name. And the lady just went, oh. <laughs> why, why would you do that? Because you learn. My message comes with authority and power. But you're never going to see it sitting at home. Dotting your theology. You gotta get out. You gotta share your faith. You know what? An intellectual Christian is Satan's best ally. An acting Christian is his worst enemy. What does it matter if your Christianity is here if you put nothing on your shoes? The, what the Bible says is how beautiful are the brains of them who preach the gospel of Christ, isn't it? Right? No, it doesn't, does it? It's how beautiful are the feet. Get going. And you'll see the power. Get going. And then you'll see the power. It's, do you know what else it says in those verses? There's power to communicate. Power to communicate. You'll speak with new languages. Whatever it means, it means new. New to you, by the way. New to you. That's what it says there in that original. But you're not going to do it if you don't get going. I've watched my wife. I honestly, especially when we were brand new missionaries in Uruguay, I watched her talk to these ladies. I, and, you know, I, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist. I know, it's, it's really... Y'all pray for my wife, poor woman. You know, she, it's 25 years. She, she really does deserve a monument. But she was just sitting there talking to people. And in my mind, you know, I am correcting every other word, you know. 
I mean, she's got the verb tenses wrong, the articles wrong, you know. She's, I'm thinking, there is no way these people are understanding a word she's saying. I know, I know what it's like to talk, you know, a second language. And, and I'm going, I don't understand what she's saying. How in the world is she communicating to these folks? You know, and then she, she'd finish her studying and, 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 and I'm watching her, you know, I'm sitting and I'm trying. You know, and she said, in her broken Spanish, would you like to receive? Just say, oh, please, I want God to forgive me. Hopefully I want to give my life. And I'm going, how in the world did they understand what she was saying? I said, where in the world, where is this coming from? I think, how does that work? Because she wasn't sitting still, folks. You're out there, you're doing it. And God gives you the power to communicate. Power to find protection. Protection within the will of God. You know, you, it's not about the snake that bites you as an animal. It's about the snake that bites you because you're preaching the gospel. It's amazing how many times people have threatened believers just because they're sharing the love of God, yet nothing happens. One of my professors in seminary, a mob, and I kid you not, a mob of people came to his house yelling, Kill the Protestant. Kill the Protestant. That should tell you where that might have happened, by the way. Just in that expression. You know? And he hid his family in the back of the house. He had a little place where he knew if anything ever happened, he'd hide his family there. Wife and, at that time, four kids. He, he later on had another kid. Wife and four kids hid them in the back. And so that they wouldn't come looking for them, he went out to the front door. You know, to sort of face the mob. And, uh, and all he remembers is, he said, before I knock down the door, he says, I think I better go out and try to calm down. I'd rather them deal with me and not with the wife and kids. And when he stepped out, he says, that was it. He lost, the lights went out. All he remembers, he's on the floor, and, I, and he just heard a man say, I killed a Protestant, I killed a Protestant, and they all ran away. They'd hit him with an axe on his head. With an axe, a hand-held axe on his head. Now, let me give you a little parable here so you understand what's going on. I know you can deal with this. Have you ever held an axe in your hand? A small, perhaps a, an axe for gardening. Now, have you, ever go to, have you ever gone to use that axe? Can you tell when that axe is backwards simply by the weight of it? You know, because the sharper side doesn't weigh as much as the head side, right? So you can tell just by grabbing it that it's backwards, isn't it? True or not true? You know why he survived? The next day when the doctor showed up and, you know, everybody came and they even had to bring in the local... Uh, authorities from the other country where he was from and everything. He says, you know, the only reason you survive is they hit you with the backside of the axe. You think, how did the guy not know he had the axe backwards? And that's the only reason he survived. He says, if they'd have hit you with the front of the axe, we'd have been burying you today. 
I, you know what, Apollo's with us. Apollo was a missionary in Africa for 10 years. I, I bet you Apollo's got stars to tell. Because with our message comes protection. And when you go to somebody, yeah, they might try to bite you, but it won't hurt you. Because when you're within the will of God, He will protect you. And when the time comes, it comes, and that's okay too. But it ain't, nothing, nothing's ever going to happen to you if you're home. Studying your Bible. You know, it's going to happen when you're out sharing your faith. Then and then only will you see the power of God to protect you. I could tell you stories when Barcelona or, or, or that kid, the kid that was here. You, some of you met Miguel Angel. Miguel Angel threatened me, showed up in my house once to, to kill me. Because, because he just he didn't he couldn't he couldn't stand the fact that I kept telling him that he needed Jesus. One day he showed up in my house. Three of those guys, three drug addicts, showed up in my house. You know they they wanted to beat me up. And my wife my wife said, "Don't go outside." And I said, "Are you kidding me?" I said, "I got their attention." And so I went outside. I wish Miguel, you I wish you would meet Miguel Angel. I won't tell you if, if it's not my place to tell. But that boy, he is a dangerous human being. I know what that boy has done with his life. He's 38 years old. He does not belong on the street. He should have been put away a long time ago. And he does not scare me. He stays in my house. I leave him alone. I leave him with my kids. He said, why would you do that? I said, first of all, because he knows who I am. And second of all, I know who I work for. I know who my God is. I've put myself in situations, yeah. Yes, I have. I've put myself in real odd situations. But it hasn't been because one day I woke up and just decided to do that. It's because the, the taking of the gospel just put me in those situations. And I didn't cower out of them. Because I knew I was where God wanted me to be. And will only happen, folks, if you're moving. And you know that neighbor next to you? Probably the worst thing they're going to do is just bark at you. About the worst thing they're going to do. Just bark at you. The worst thing they can do is that the best thing you can do is offer them the giver of life. Offer them the giver of life. Anyway, we better move on and start telling stories when we get out of here. What about the power to heal? Since there, the people will be healed. You ever see anybody get healed? Oh, yeah. Sure. I pray for them. I've seen them heal. I've also seen them not heal. And I pray for people who aren't Christians to be healed. Because I say, God, great way for you to show yourself into their lives. And the gospel will do what the gospel is meant to do if you take it out to them. The last, the last, uh, the last thought here is the strategy. Okay? Before we get to the end. The strategy. That's Acts chapter 1.8. 
In Acts chapter 1.8, you will receive power, it says, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses, he says, for me. And then he describes Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Someone described it, your neighbor, your city, your county, the world. Serve me. Serve me where you are. And then I will begin to move you to other places. I've had people, when I'm in churches, uh, last, uh, my last tour in the United States, usually it happens when I'm there, I was speaking to all these teenagers, and a few teenagers came up to me, you know, you know we want to be missionaries, we feel God's called us to be missionaries in Europe, you know, and, I, and you know what I always do? I say, so what are you doing for God now? What are you doing here? What are you, what are you doing for them right here, right now? Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I want to be a missionary over there. No, that doesn't work. Yeah, we're to serve Him first where we are. First where we are. God isn't looking for our abilities. Did you know that? Remember the Apostle Paul? He said, I count it all lost. Lost. It's not about your ability. It's not what you can do. It's about your availability. Best, absolutely the best advice a man gave me as a young believer. I thought, all I know how to do is be an airplane mechanic. How does God use that? He says, forget that. Throw it in the garbage. Are you available? I said, yeah. He says, then don't worry. God will use you. Our greatest ability should be our availability. Can you say to God, I'm available. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Now, I want to close. And if I close right here and right now, i got a feeling I'm not giving you the whole picture. I need to give you one more slide shot. How about the Cinderella ending? You guys like Cinderella endings? Ladies, you all like Cinderella endings. you know, And they live happily ever after. Well, guess what? In the, in the gospel, the Cinderella ending does not really exist. How would I want all the stories to end every time I speak to someone about God? I would like for it to end happily ever after. How would I want your story to end? Happily ever after. If every time you went out and you shared your faith with someone and it was a success story... You know, I mean, that would be terrific. But the truth is, it's not. I wish I could say, do this, do this, do this, and you'll always succeed in sharing your faith. But if anyone says that to you, they're not being realistic. Because that's not how it works. Actually, there will be refusals. There will be excuses. And there will be plenty of disappointments. And that is true. And let's be real about that. As a matter of fact, you know, in the Bible, there's quite a few places where God speaks to us of what that is going to look like when you go out there to invite people in. Let me just read to you very briefly out of Luke chapter 14. It's a parable. And this is what the parable says. It said unto them, Jesus is speaking, A certain man was given a big dinner, and he invited many. 
And at the dinner hour, he sent the slaves to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider my excuse. Okay, so he bought land without having looked at it. Alright. Number uh, verse 18. Uh, verse 19. And another one said, uh, I have bought five yokes of oxen. Uh, that means ten of them. They're, they're yoked together. And I am going to try, I am going to try them out. Please consider my excuse. Verse 20. And another one said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. Not even going to comment on that one. Verse 21. And the slave came back and reported this to the master. And then, um, and the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets, into the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and, com and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. There will always be excuses. There will always be disappointments. There will always be refusals. So when they happen, move on. Don't quit. Our first and most natural response is, I'm never going to try that again. I'm never going to talk to anybody because they just refuse me. Well, Scripture says two things and I'll give you an illustration and we'll close. Number one, many are called but few are chosen. That's a fact. Another fact. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. That's a fact. A closed door is only the beginning of another open door. When one door closes, another one opens. I've always talked to you about a man, and his name was Wayne Taylor. And he was working in that factory, remember? But you've ever, ever asked yourself, what was a pastor doing working in a factory? Especially in that country where, you know, they don't have to do that. Well, see, somebody closed his door. Somebody had closed his door. And he was rather depressed. I have spoken to Wayne many a times. And Wayne had said to me, for years, I didn't understand what God had done in my life. It didn't take me a day, a year or two. It took me about ten years. Because it was a dark time in my life. God closed the door in this church. I found myself having to go work in a factory. He says, I, I wasn't trained. I didn't, you know, and it was a factory with people who were not the nicest people. He said, you know, was, he was used to a different kind of lifestyle. He says, and I was there for... He says, and I never understood why God put me there. He said, I'm, I'm, it took me about ten years to realize. He says, God shut that door. Because he wanted to open your door, Raphael. And I was too stubborn to understand that. He says, I never realized... God moved me from an entire church 
brought me to an entire factory so that you would hear the gospel and become a missionary. He said, I had to ask God to forgiveness, for forgiveness for a long time. Because I lived long, angry at God, have, having put me in my life for about two years in a situation that I didn't understand why I was not where I wanted to be. He said, and of those two years, two people, two people, both those people are pastors. Myself and a fellow by the name of Scott Ingleson. And Scott is a pastor on Long Island, New York. He's one of the churches that supports us, that helps us. Matter of fact, they're coming during Easter. That church is coming here during Easter to help us out. And one day, Pastor Wayne sat down with me and said, it took me a long time to understand. God closed that door because he wanted to open your door. So when God closes a door for you, look for the other door. Don't quit. Don't say, I'm never going to try that again. Because somebody's closed door becomes somebody else's open door. So love the world. Jesus did. He loved them so much, he died for them. Share your faith. That is a gift that God has given you. Let's stand and pray as we close.